Good morning. Last week we we left Nehemiah in a petition with the Lord uh, after he first received the the information about uh, his brothers in, in Jerusalem, Judah. And if you look at his prayer in chapter 1, uh, if you just want to focus on it before we even read the scripture in chapter 2, but if you look at his prayer in chapter 1, in, in, in verse 5a, he recognizes the greatness of God. And in the second part of, chapter, of verse 5 of the first chapter, he, looks at the, he talks about the attributes of God. In a sixth verse, he talks about the mercy of God. And again, in verses 6 and 7, he he confesses the sins of his people. In verses 8 and 9, he restates God's faithful promises to his covenant people. That would be people like you. And then lastly, in verse 11, he petitions God with his requests. There's more said about God than there is about his need. I think that that should be a lesson to us. When we pray, our focus ought not to be on ourselves as much as it is on who God is. God knows our needs. He doesn't need to be reminded over and over and over and over again. But God wants to hear from his people. The fact that this is a God who is, as the song says, who is holy, holy, holy. A God who deserves all the glory and honor that we can possibly muster up within us. So with that in mind, he goes to God in prayer, and then we come to chapter 2. So let's look at chapter 2, the first 10 verses. It says, And it came about in the month Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, that wine was before him. And I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence, So the king said to me, why is your face sad, though you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies desolate and its gates have been consumed by fire? The king said to me, What would you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. I said to the king, If it please the king, and if your servant has found favor before you, send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, the queen sitting, then the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, How long will your journey be, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I gave him a definite time. By the way, before I read any further, verse 6 is really interesting. How long? How long is it going to take you? And it says, and it pleased the king, and he sent me. I want you to let that just kind of settle in your, in your minds a little bit. We're going to talk about that later. It's a very interesting verse. But anyway, it says in verse 7, I I just need, I want that to kind of filter in your head before we talk about that later on. I said to the king, 
if the king, if it please the king, let letters be given me for the governors of the provinces beyond the river, that they may allow me to pass through until I come to Judah. And, that, and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress, which is by the temple, for the wall of the city and the house to which I will go. And the king granted them to me because the good hand of my God was on me. Then I came to the governors of the provinces beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent me with officers of the army and horsemen. Another interesting, another interesting verse. You really got to think about verse 10. When Senbelet the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite heard about it, it was very displeasing to them that someone had come to seek the welfare of the sons of Israel. Let us pray. Father, we ask for insight, illumination, and inspiration in our minds, Father, that we may discover your truth here, Father, that we may be, uh, that we may be diligent in applying these truths in our everyday lives. In Christ's name, amen. In Matthew chapter 6, now that's an odd thing to start with, isn't it? In Matthew chapter 6, verses 8 through 13, Jesus gives his disciples an example of, uh, on prayer. I say this because all of chapter 1 and, and, a, and a little smidgen of chapter 2, it says, I pray to the God of heaven. It's about prayer. I know that sometimes that we go to God in prayer and, you know, sometimes we get on our knees or maybe just kind of lean over your desk or just put your, 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 your face into your hands and you pray to the Lord. And uh, if you are like me, you let God know everything that's going on in your life. And you just, we talk to God about all that's happening and, and we come to this discovery. And sometimes I do this too. We come, I says, you know what? I haven't spent a whole lot of time just telling God who God is. I believe that God wants to know who he is to us. We know what we are to him. But who is God to us? Because we bombard God with uh, like a child sitting on Santa's lap. This is what I would really would like to have. And it is one petition after the other, after the other, after the other. We pray for missionaries. We pray for missions. We pray for this person. We pray for that person. And we pray for ourselves. And we pray for our dog. We pray for our cat. We pay, pray for our pet rock. Whatever we're praying for, we pray for everybody. And, and uh, until, we, we, you know, we're, until we're done praying, but we've not spent more than three seconds on telling God how great he is. So in Matthew chapter 6, verses 8 through 13. I just want to share with you uh, so, some uh, well, how Jesus 
talks about prayer. And here in this passage, you'll find that the, the human need is surrounded by the attributes and covenant promises of God. So if, if you were just want to just quickly look at that prayer, in verse 9 of, of the Lord's Prayer, we call it, the, you know, the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is really John chapter 17. This is more of a model prayer. But in verse 9, he addresses the Father's domain. In verse 9, he addresses the Father's name. In verse 10, he talks about the Father's kingdom. In, first, in verse 10 of the, of the prayer, he talks about the Father's will. In verse 11, he talks about the Father's provision. In verse 12, he talks about the Father's forgiveness. And in verse 13, he talks about the Father's deliverance. Now, he does talk about human need. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. Deliver us from evil. But all of those are surrounded by God's attributes and God's greatness and who God is. Jesus spends more time in the Lord's Prayer talking about the Father than he does the human need. But let's go to our our text in verse 1 of Nehemiah chapter 2. Verse 1 tells us it's in the month Nisan or Nisan not like the car, but that, that month would be about three months or so past his first meeting uh, with his brothers and friends from Jerusalem. Why so long a wait? Why three, uh, past three months, why so long a wait from the time he finds out about what is happening in Jerusalem till we get to chapter two where he's going to do anything about it? You know, if a church were to move that slow, it's sometimes we think that the church is like the Queen Elizabeth going through a sea of molasses. We just move so slow. What a wonderful opportunity in the slowness of the church to spend some time in prayer. But we move so slow, just like Nehemiah. Is it possible that in this three-plus-month wait that Nehemiah took the time to prepare himself to deliberate before he would come to a decision as to how he was going to approach the problem with the best solution? When we have a problem, do we deliberate as to what that solution might be to that problem? How often do we come together and tell all the problems that we are facing? And wouldn't it be a welcome change if someone actually came up with a solution instead of another problem? And for Nehemiah, he took the time to deduce as to the best way to remedy Jerusalem's problem. He took the time, not only to say, here's the problem, but he took the time to pray and to, and to decide what is the best way to fix the problem. Now, Nehemiah puts himself in a, in a position where he has to explain to the king the reason for his downcast and sorrowed look. So let's ask this question. How does this fit into our everyday experiences of life? 
Have you ever heard of the term, no risk, no what? No reward. Have you ever heard of that? No risk, no reward. Listen, whether it is your, whether it is your teaching a class witnessing to an unsaved person, serving on a committee, or preparing to speak before a group of people, you will, you will have to deal with your adversary. I'm not just talking about the devil as your adversary. Of course he's your adversary, but that there are other adversaries out there. And every one of us has adversaries besides the devil. That adversary may be fear, insecurity, inferiority, lack of confidence, or even something or someone supernatural. The fact is there is an opposing force or influence that's set against you. I don't care what you're doing, what you're planning to do, what you're preparing for, what solution you may come up with a problem. There's always an adversary out there. It could be something that is inside of you. It could be your inferiority. It could be some complex that you have. It can be a low self-esteem, whatever it might be. Or maybe it's overconfidence, or maybe it's just arrogance. But there is something that is your adversary out there. Prepare yourself to meet your adversary. Paul, the apostle Paul, when, when he was at Ephesus, said in his letter to the church at the people of Corinth, he says this, for a wide door of effective ministry has opened to me. And then he says, and there are many, listen, there are many adversaries. If there is a door of opportunity open to you, there is one open to Nehemiah. Nehemiah recognized the fact that there are adversaries that he needed to contend with. There are occasions when spiritual opportunities come our way. And it seems that those heaven-sent opportunities are nearly always well attended by personal risks. There's a personal risk. Whatever you're going to do, you're going to do something for the Lord. You're going to do something that God's called you to in this church. There is always that risk out there that I have to do this, and will I do it well enough? Will I, will I get to my goal? Will I finish the course? Will I keep the faith? We, worry, we sometimes worry so much about finishing the course that we fail to begin. We fail to begin. As we come to verse 4, the king asked Nehemiah, what would you request? So notice what Nehemiah does. We often would be more than willing to speak right up and let our tongue move at the speed of our own impulses. But then there's Nehemiah. Verse 4, he says, I, I want you to, verse 4 is interesting. He says, so I prayed to the Lord. The king asked him a question. I mean, I don't think the king is going to wait there for several minutes until he, you know, until he recites the 119th Psalm. The king asked him a question, what do you want? He says, 
So I prayed to the Lord. He didn't have much time to think it through, did he, in response to the king's question. There was no time to pursue some analytical thought process. Nehemiah couldn't just simply say to the king, well, let me get back to you on that. We'll we'll just circle back on that, king. (laughs) You can't do that to the king. The king held Nehemiah's life in his hands. He had to come up with a response and come up with one promptly. Time was precious. A response was needed. His prayer could not have been taken taken any longer than Peter's prayer to Jesus when he found himself neck deep in the Sea of Galilee. We read in in Matthew 14, 28-30, Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Now, he was doing doing great. But seeing the wind, he became frightened. And beginning to sink, he cried out. Peter's prayer was just three words. Lord, save me. I think Nehemiah's prayer couldn't have been more than three or four words. You don't have time to let the king wait on you. He's looking for a response. So let's look at the results of Nehemiah's prayer and his request to the king. Verse 6 says, So it pleased the king to send me. I like that verse that, that we're all so familiar with, and we read it all the time in Scripture. He says, with that verse that says, Getteth thy ducks lined upeth. It's in the book of Second Opinions. Our prayer before we speak should not be, Lord, this is us though, Lord, what shall I say now that I've been put on the spot to say something? I would not advise a preacher to, be, been, to begin his preparation of a message during the offertory on a Sunday if he's to speak. In fact, the preacher that's going to speak needs to have his homework done well in advance of Sunday. Nehemiah had to have a thought in his mind well in advance of the king's request. You need to have done your homework well in advance before you teach, before you witness, before you do a mission endeavor. You need to have done your homework. You need to have prepared yourself. Besides prayer, there is also the need of preparation. And not just preparing us, getting things lined up as to what I'm going to take or what I'm going to wear, but getting yourself lined up as to how you are going to be a witness for Christ, how you are going to serve other people, how you are going to speak, how you are going to act, how you're going to conduct matters of your life. Prepare yourself. That is more important than preparing your baggage. Nehemiah's conversation would have 
fatally ended at verse 4 of our text had he not been prepared. In the months prior to his visit with the king, I believe that Nehemiah was in prayer to God concerning Jerusalem. I think that he, he spent that time in prayer. He spent that time in preparation. He prayed for Jerusalem. He prayed for his people and how he would respond to the king if given the opportunity. Prayer, effective prayer should lead us to be prepared. When you pray, pray to the God that he would give you the ability to prepare yourself for ministry, for being a church member, for being called to speak of the faith that God has called you to. I would think that Nehemiah might have given thought to, how should I approach the king? If he asks anything of me, how shall I respond? For what shall I ask? How do you suppose the king might respond to Nehemiah if Nehemiah would have just said to the king, uh, when asked, uh, what, what do you request? What if Nehemiah said, uh, king, I, I really don't know. I don't know. You think that would have gone over pretty well with the king? Friends, listen. Perhaps God is leading you to take some action God might be leading you to take some action regarding a mission endeavor or become more engaged in your witnessing opportunities. And let me ask, have you spent any time at all in prayer and preparation if you are a Sunday school teacher? If you're a Sunday school teacher, when you pick up your teacher's quarterly, you must spend some time in prayer and preparation. Any of us who teach or facilitate a class, has there ever been a time when you said to yourself, well, I guess I can just wing it. I've had, listen, I've been to Sunday school classes where they wing it. Well, George, uh, let's read that first paragraph in the quarterly. So you read the first, anybody got anything to say? Well, let's read the second paragraph. Anybody got anything to say? You go, through, you go through the whole quarterly, reading the whole quarterly lesson like that, and asking people if they got anything to say. I would like to ask that teacher, you got anything to say? Have you prepared anything? Sunday school should not be a time of, prepared, of, of unprepared ignorance. I can wing it. Did Peter or Paul or John wing it? Did Jesus just wing it as he assumed his role as our Redeemer? Did he just wing it? And here's something else for us to consider. Look at verse 6 in our text. The king asked Nehemiah another question. He said, how long is your journey going to be? Now, that's a valid question. How long? You know what, folks? You just can't wing it and say, well, I think three weeks, ten years. How long did Nehemiah spend in Jerusalem? What was his response? You will not find it. You will not find it in chapter 2, by the way. You will not find the answer in chapter 2. But he did give him an answer. He 
in Nehemiah chapter 5 and verse 14. And also in Nehemiah chapter 13 and verse 6, we have an answer. Nehemiah 5.14 says, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of King Artaxerxes. How long is that? From 20 to 32. That's 12 years. He had to think that through. You just come up and say, well, I'll be gone for 12 years. King, I'm going to be gone for 12 years. And King says, right on. That's what he says. Here's the $64,000 question. Why would the king permit his most trusted man, his most trusted man, to be gone for 12 years? If you had your right-hand man working beside you, and if you're a, a foreman on a job, and a guy says, listen, i got to do this. He says, well, how long are you going to be gone? Not for 15 minutes, but he said, well, I'll be back in 12 years. <laughs> Here's your pink slip. No, 12 years. Why would he let him go? Let me give you a little history lesson here. A couple of years prior, the nation of Syria. Now, Syria is just north of Israel. You have Syria and Israel, and below Israel is Egypt, okay? Syria, Israel, Egypt, north, and then central, and then south. Syria had revolted against King Artaxerxes. The leader of that revolt was one of, kings, one of the king's satraps, or one of his governors, the revolt was put down by King Artaxerxes. And although that satrap, that governor, was a mistrusted man, the king, because of political reasons and expediencies, left him in charge of that country of Syria. Didn't trust him, but he left him in charge of Syria. It then became apparent to the king that it would be advantageous to have someone like Nehemiah. Syria's up here. If I can put someone underneath, underneath Syria, because Syria wanted to have an alliance with Egypt. Syria and Egypt. If I can put someone in, in between those two whom I trust, that would really help me. Because that alliance will never happen if I have a buffer between these two. Twelve years was wonderful for King Artaxerxes. He says, well, I don't have to worry about this for twelve years. Because my most trusted man is going to be that buffer between these two people. Because they were wanting to form an alliance. And Israel having no governor, being as weak as it was, without any leadership there, without any satrap there, Here's Syria, here's Egypt. Well, they can come together. There'd be no resistance at all in, in Israel. But now that Nehemiah is there, the most trusted man in all the kingdom, the guy that pours his wine to make sure there's no poison in it, the man who guards his quarters at night to make sure that no one come in and assassinate him, he's going to be there. And man, I have got a, what a friend I have in Nehemiah. Twelve years was a great 
great time for the king. It should be apparent to us as we think about this, as God is working in, in human affairs and in history, it'd be apparent that God is at work in, in people, in human affairs, through human agency. Through, through human agency, just like you, God accomplishes His purposes. You may not be the governor of Israel, but you are the king's child who is put in place on this earth not 2,000 years ago, but in a very critical time in the year 2022 A.D. He didn't call Peter, James, and John to be his disciples and followers in 2022 A.D., but he called you to be that. He put his most trusted people His most trusted people in this time and this age to be the buffer between heaven and hell itself. And you are called to be his witnesses. You are that buffer. You are the church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. God uses us also, you and I, to accomplish His purposes. And yes, that purpose includes witnessing. Just as we've already seen in the book of Nehemiah, the fact that we live in a broken world. In Nehemiah's time, Israel was a broken nation. Her spirit, her city, her walls were all broken down. In verse 10 of Nehemiah, as Nehemiah travels from Susa, in the capital of Persia, Persian Empire, and he travels southward and he comes down into Israel. It says, when Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite, heard about it, it was very displeasing to them that someone had come to seek the welfare of the sons of Israel. I'm going to close with this. Whatever you do, you not only carry about in you an adversary, there are many adversaries, but you carry about, but you carry about within you A spiritual, alive, quickened nature of God. And when God sends you on assignment, He sends you on assignment, and when the adversary, the, not many, but the one big adversary, finds out what you're up to, He is going to oppose you. And I had this thought as I was concluding this message, as I was writing this down, that there is a man out there. 
I don't know where he's at. I have no idea where he's at. He may be in the United States. He may be overseas. I have no idea. There are seven and a half billion people in this world. I have no idea who this man is. But there is a man out there that God has called to be your pastor. Whether he comes this month or a hundred months from now, I have no idea. Neither do you. God knows. But when that man gets here, when that man gets here, the enemy is going to be very, very, very displeased. He already faces a great adversary. The church should never be the pastor's adversary. It is a heart-wrenching, heart-breaking, heart-melting calling that this man will have. Every pastor has that. He needs you to be an ally. Is he going to mess up? Big time. When Moses messed up and his hands got heavy and come down, he had his friends to lift him up. You be that pastor's Aaron and her that when he falls that you will pick him up because there's always a Sanballat and Tobiah to put him down let's pray Lord Jesus you are God we are not Jesus, you came, born of a virgin, God incarnate, fully God, fully man. You lived a perfect, sinless life. You died on a cross, but on the third day you rose again from the dead. Lord, what a great truth. Lord, what a great promise. Lord, as you live, we can also in Christ live. I just pray today, Father, that if there is be someone here today that doesn't know you as the Lord and Savior, Lord, that today that your spirit will work in their lives to bring them to faith in Christ. And Father, realizing this, Lord, as we travel through this life, Father, we have an adversary. That adversary can cause us uh, tension in our lives and, and, and uh, uh, guilt and shame and illness and diseases. But, Lord, we trust in you through all of life's journey, Lord. We trust in you. Lord, I pray today, Lord, that you will just work in our lives, Father. Whoever might be here today, Father, that needs a touch from the Master's hand, Lord, that you'll do that today for them, for this church. In Jesus' name, amen.